Naya, we're really excited to have you here. I am pumped to learn about EV charging infrastructure and how we deploy it at scale. Uh, but before we get into all of that cool stuff, uh, we like to ask some fun questions about uh, how you sort of wound up here. So our first question we ask everybody is, when did you get derpilled? We can define that if if needed. I'm imagining it's when you guys reached out to us, me. <laughs> that, okay. Though, that is that is true sometimes. <laughs> but maybe but that's like, wrong. When, when, it, when did you get like hooked on DERs? If if you oh are, DERs I mean, oh yeah, yeah. gosh, uh, it was probably when I was working at PG&E over a decade ago, and uh, we were investing in companies like Solar City and Sunrun, and really starting to see the power of things like aggregated solar rooftops and what that could mean for the grid. So I think that was probably 2009 when I okay. started recognizing I, I got to ask power. a fault. Yeah. Wow. I got to ask, uh, we haven't heard of many people on the utility side. Um, <laughs> I used to work at wow, <laughs> so. um, I think you were dirt pulled before that though. So what, what was it about, solar that was like particularly interesting to PG&E? Like, was there impacts on the distribution system you were seeing? Was it about like the energy you were purchasing? Like what was kind of the, the party line and internally, I guess? Yeah, I was working at the corporation actually. So not at the utility itself, kind of the holding company. And I think yeah. they realized that there was going to be a really huge impact, right? A potentially huge impact on their business on the distribution side, but even on the you know generation side, right? If people are generating their own electricity, they don't need to buy it from the electric, you know, the electric utility. So I think it was a curiosity that got us involved with the, those investments. Um, and I think, you know, really quickly you see, if you're creative, you can see that uh, it can be used as a tool to help in places where you might have uh, growth that you might not be able to meet peak daylights, for example, and, um, you know, having uh, distributed resources can maybe help with some of that. Uh, so it really was... Um, seeing, you know, it was really early days. I mean, these companies were just coming out of their infancy when we were getting engaged with them and just seeing the power, if you did scale it up significantly, what that could mean for the grid. Yeah. This was, was this like the California solar initiative days? I think. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was right when there was the first incentives for putting solar rooftops on and yeah. um, people were racing to sign up and get the incentives and, you know, build out their fleet of, you know, solar rooftops. So it was very early days. It was still pretty expensive actually. And so these new business models, you know, Sun Edison kind of piloted it, but, of uh, you know, making a PPA for the homeowner, we're still pretty new and this concept of like, you don't have to pay for it, but you can have all the benefits was a new concept. And so obviously uh, seeing a lot of mass adoption very quickly in places that had rates like PG&E had at the time, they had tiered rate structure. Um, and so uh, just, you could see how it could really start to get big and wanting to understand that and be part of it, I think was some of the motivation. Nice. That's, uh, I mean, that's like basically the beginning short of like off gridders in the woods and stuff like that. That's <laughs> yeah. like the beginning of the mainstream of it's, solar. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny though. You're right though. It did become, you know, mainstream because the rates were just so attractive to start to engage with, you know, the, the with net energy meeting rates, net NEM rates, I'm going to use NEM, uh, <laughs> that they had at the time. It was really beneficial. And you saw, you know, giant houses in the Central Valley really seeing the benefit of that. And that is, 
you know, as down the fairway as you can be when it comes to kind of residential adoption. So yeah, yeah. it was a really exciting time to see that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so hope I'm, the next one I'm going to ask you, hopefully it's not just the same exact answer because I might've set you up, but um, what is your favorite DER? Oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's the one that we works, ask the tough right? questions here, you know, it's the one that and, works. And I we're mean, broad. We're broad with the, ER. I mean, like, look, like someone said induction stove once. So like, we you can will, will much... not let that go. Yeah, I I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one. And maybe someone said it on the show already, but I was really astounded. We were, I'm in California and we were in the middle of what could have been an emergency. And I've worked at the utility when people are on the floor, like, how do we get more megawatts? Because it's a hot day and we're on the edge. And, you know, I think it was Governor Newsom tweeted out, you know, hey, please uh, take it easy on the grid. And it was like almost immediate drop off. And so I think the one that works is the one that I like the most, but it's just astounding the different tools that people have, right? There's all kinds of technology now with smart uh, thermostats and people are signed up for programs, but, you know, a tweet from the governor can still be really impactful. So I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. As as a a, This is a great answer. I I love love this. Wow. Twid, twid, twidder. Okay, cool. <laughs> it, 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 wow, you know, you never miss a pun. Um, it's kind is it's kind of cheating though, because maybe it was a lot of durs in that, but I, I guess it's just the governor's aggregation. I, so that's I one like dir. I don't know how do we. It's like the manual dir almost in some ways too, like the yeah. consumer. Yeah. Driven. Maybe they're like unplugging fridges and stuff. I don't know what, what people are <laughs> I doing. I can't remember. Like, I was doing something. I'm like, maybe I'll wait till nine. I, I mean, it was something silly. Like I don't have a very intense house, but I did like think to dishwasher myself. Or... I, it was it was a dishwasher. You're right. It's exactly what it was. And I was thinking, I'll just wait. Dishwasher is my favorite dirt. So yeah. I'm there that, with you. Really? <laughs> what? Okay. We, I mean, we're on a tight schedule. I don't know if we have time to unpack that one, but. I'm, we'll get there. I'm pretty pretty shocked now, so we're gonna circle back to that. I thought you were gonna say like EV charger. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, have... I, it's the one that works. That's that, yeah. I mean, that really. I like it. No, I like it. That's great. I, I do have to that... say though, a lot of people are were ragging on that tweet because they're like, "Why don't they get paid? Like, why do we have to rely on Duncan? You may have even been." Not part of that, but you were you were posing the question as you often do on Twitter, like you know, should we just rely on people to be good citizens to like save the grid or like, should people be paid for this? Or I don't know. That that was a controversial uh, DER as well, I guess. No, I think for sure. Yeah. Um, Same. I mean, in New York city, right. We get the like, please no use energy texts. (laughs) Um, And like, people are like, once, I think once like a resource feels like it's constrained, people start looking around and say, well, why aren't those lights off? Why my yeah. why do my lights have to go off? Why, right. why is right. Times Square yeah. still lit up? Right. Um, and so I think it just gets a little tricky once you <laughs> once you open that bottle <laughs> um, I mean, versus, I versus paying people. Speaks to incentives though, right? If the if the incentives exactly. are there. Yeah, right. exactly. Cool. Well, um another thing we'd like to know is what do you do outside of your job? What are you like? What What are you up to outside of Terra? Yeah, you know the climate fight is tough. You know what's what else you got going on? <laughs> I have two kids, so I spend a lot of time with them. Um, we like to spend time outdoors, especially in the winter, um, which is actually really important and maybe part of my drive for climate. Um, I love winter. <laughs> 
it sounds <laughs> odd to say that, but uh, <laughs> we we love snow and snow sports, and obviously uh, having a cool planet and having a long winter um, helps kind of uh, maximize the enjoyment there. So uh, spend a lot of time out in the wilderness, um, spend time in snow together. Um, really, I think it's just about the kids at this point in my life. Nice. And you said you're in the Bay Area, right? I am. I am. Lots of nice nature and outdoor stuff to do. Yes, definitely. I got to say, I notice it because it's my birthday which was which was yesterday november 6th i'm not i'm not trying to just fish happy for, birthday. for happy birthdays here happy yeah thank birthday. you but i so i always you know i remember my birthday weekend and the last two have been like almost like 78 degrees like yeah. in new york and i'm like i don't remember my birthday being like this warm like i know you know it's tough to pin it on on anything now but uh at least anecdotally that's that's how it's been feeling to me okay. lately so you can't get away from it. I just came back from a trip in Italy um, and I was like at all these, you know, vineyards talking to winemakers and they're all just like, yeah, our harvest ended a month early this year. And they're like, wow. And they're like, and that's like becoming pretty normal that it's just like been moving out this year. It was like a particularly bad one, but they're talking all about like their like mitigation strategies and how they're moving things. They can't do irrigation there. Anyway, super interesting. Not interesting. what we're talking about today, but like, Climate is just every you everywhere you go. You go on vacation. I'm just like talking to winemakers about climate. <laughs> isn't there isn't there isn't there a German wine where they like leave the grapes on through winter a little bit, and that has some effect? You know what I'm talking um, about? Yeah, ice, I, wine. ice wine. Yeah, yeah. Ice so wine. ice wine yeah, prices they, are going they need, down. Yeah, they need the there's, first freeze. There's going to be yeah. tons of it now. Yeah, yeah. But they, were saying, but they were saying that last yeah last year was the first winter you like ever remembered where they didn't snow in in Piedmont oh wow um, and that was to your point they had like not sad for a lot of reasons um, protect our powder you know <laughs> Rusty wants to throw uh the next dirt fest in like Jackson Hole or something and have yeah. uh you know a powder fest so powder fest. it's coming it's getting harder and harder all right all right let's keep let's keep trucking um all right this is this is always a fun one what is the last job you want to have gosh um kind of a lot about jobs i want not, not that much about jobs i don't want oh uh, sorry I'm, sorry sorry wait wait. i don't mean last is in oh, the job you want at least i mean like oh the last job i want to have yeah, 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 yeah. i mean like, i am like building you- something that's really exciting i hope i you know i've been in the industry now 25 years i'd love to run my career out here at terawatt um, I think we have a huge runway of what we want to build and what the industry needs. And um, I'm super excited to stay engaged and as long as I can and to help really see the industry. Super exciting place we're at right now. Love it. Awesome. Awesome answer. I feel that's like the, if- that's the right answer if you're working at a startup, by the way. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> the, only, the only one that people want, want, to, want to hear. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So, yeah. It's if good. we if it's we good. logged all the answers to that question by interviewee type, yeah, founder every single time is <laughs> I'm, I'm going to die in this role. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Cool. Okay. Last one then. Last, last, last fun one. What is your hottest energy take? Can we get wow. in trouble? We love hot takes. Yeah. Hot takes. Maybe I'll focus on EV charging because that's what I spend a lot of my time thinking about. And I hear a lot of people saying like, oh, it's so early. It's so early. It's so early. And I think it's going to be like 
so early until sometime Q2 and 23, and everyone's going to have their trucks and their vehicles and their vans. And they're going to say, oh crap, I have no way to charge this. Um, I, I, I really do think it's going to turn on a dime and it's going to happen in 2023. Wow. I, I love, I that, love that. Yeah. So we're not so, early. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, so what I did before I work at scale now, but before that I worked at Con Edison doing our EV charging infrastructure program. Um, so super excited to talk to you, but yeah, we had a number of calls of people being like, so I have these trucks being delivered <laughs> and like, how do I do charging for them? And so I agree with you that I think it's a hot take, but I actually also agree with you that it's going to be a real problem before people know it, because it's just like, consumers don't think about power in that way. Nope, uh, they think- and they buy, and they buy trucks. <laughs> that is that is the, uh, I think the crux of what we're going to get into is that, that dynamic but this is a great segue into before we do that, it would be awesome to just hear like the high level, um, I don't know, I guess elevator pitch, like a lot of our listeners may not be in, in you know, uh, familiar with Terawatt. And within that, I think it would also be great to just briefly, especially when there's fundraising announcements, we always forget until like the end <laughs> for you to actually talk about it. So also you guys recently raised the billion with, with a B that's a very large number. Um, so would love to hear kind of the elevator pitch and then also how, what that capital is for and what you feel it unlocks and and uh, what you have kind of on the roadmap for what sounds like a, a huge uh, 2023 where this all starts to happen. So, yeah, I mean, Terawatt, at it's fundamental, provides charging solutions for fleets. Uh, we know that there's going to be a much steeper adoption curve for fleets using EVs than there was on the passenger side. We've had those vehicles now for 10 years. On the fleet side, they're just beginning, but they're definitely gaining traction way faster than we saw on the passenger side. So fleets have some very unique needs. They oftentimes have many vehicles charging at once. They have large battery formats. And so the charging challenge for them is much bigger. Um, they also need high levels of reliability. So Terawatt provides solutions for fleets, uh, everything from offsite charging. We have the capability to build offsite charging hubs that can serve one or multiple fleets to also helping them think through their journey. You know, many fleets start with just a handful of vehicles, right? They're piloting them, they're testing them, but very quickly they tend to outgrow their onsite infrastructure. So how do we help them with that journey from the first few vehicles to having their entire fleet electrified? Um, we're providing what we call a full stack solution when it comes to our offsite charging. Uh, we have sites, the real estate, we have the capability to provide large interconnect. We have all of the onsite infrastructure chargers, DERS, uh, and then we also have uh, you know reliable operation of that site once it's up and running. So maybe we can just zoom in for a second. So I think when a lot of people hear EV charging for fleets, they think they think of a bunch of you know trucks at a distribution warehouse, perhaps. Um, those trucks are the trucks for the distribution warehouse, and you're building chargers at the distribution warehouse. You said the word offsite a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, what does that mean? Yeah. That was so my <laughs> Yeah, so so exactly. I think a lot of people do think like, oh, I'm just going to you know put some chargers at my site and plug them all in. And Colleen, you know from your time at Con Edison, that's not easy, right? You may not have that much power already on your site. You might have to bring more power there. 
a lot of work to rip up a parking lot and put in conduit and put in chargers. So what we provide is a solution offsite. So we have locations that are strategically located near where fleets operate. So think of a warehouse hub where there are many different types of fleets that are located there, but we have a charging center in one of those hubs. So vehicles can come and find DCFC, so fast charging, where they can quickly charge their vehicles and then take them where they need to go without disrupting their operations too much. So an offsite solution would be one that's not where they currently park or store their vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, It's but it would be one that's proximate to them that could be suitable. And you know they all, all they do is come to the site, they charge, they don't have to develop the site, they don't have to put any money up front. It's all OPEX to them. So it's really kind of an elegant solution for fleets as they start to scale. Um, and, you know, many times they don't even own their sites. A lot of these places are leased. So it really kind of removes the friction for them as they start to scale up the number of electrified vehicles in their fleets. So you got, you guys are like the cloud kitchens for, for EV charging. <laughs> where, uh... it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because my background is data centers, you know, for almost a decade before I helped co-found Terawatt, I was at Google um, leading mm. energy strategy for data centers. And if you look at what a data center is, it's, a piece of property, a big interconnect, on-site infrastructure, and reliable <laughs> operations. So it, it is not that different. We really view this as a new asset class, very similar wow. to data centers. That's so cool. I guess I guess the big difference, though, is yours will have like a Carl's Jr. or something like that <laughs> for when you're hanging out waiting for your truck to charge. <laughs> Certainly, there'll be on-site amenities. But, you know, I think as charger speeds start to increase, um, it won't look that different than other types of fueling Normal. stations that you see. Yeah. But so I guess one distinction is, so when we're saying offsite, we're not just referring to like on route charging. We're saying like this, this is a charging hub, maybe just five miles away from my base of operations, whatever it might be. And we go there to charge, but it's not just like in the middle of my route, I stop off and I charge. This is still, I'm treating this as like part of my kind of home base sort of thing. It can certainly be both. And we actually did have another big announcement we made a couple of weeks ago about the first electrified corridor for big rigs. So we're developing the corridor between Port of Long Beach and El Paso, which is a big port of entry into the US. Um, and we'll electrify I-10 uh, that will allow big rigs to go from Long Beach all the way to Texas. So uh, it, it can be both. Um, you know, the basic components are the same, right? You need the site, you need the power, you need the infrastructure, and then you need to run it reliably. And that's really what we op- what we offer. We offer space and power and reliable operations. So it can be close to someone's base of operations. It can be over the road when they go far afield as well. That's I can so already, cool. yeah, this is so big. Yeah, I can yeah, already see how you raised a billion. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to your, to your question Duncan's about- like, can you I know, invest? <laughs> To your question of, you know, the billion dollars, like absolutely we'll be investing into the company and continue to grow out the team and, you know, build our IP and build our capabilities. But this is a huge amount of capital that needs to be invested into this, into this industry, right? As, as this grows, I think the stat that I heard last and it increases every single time they put it out, but I'll give credit to BNF. Uh, they put up the stat that by 2040, it'll require trillion dollars of investment in EV charging infrastructure across the globe. And again, every time that stats released, I feel like it goes north. So, you know, just huge dollars that need to go into turning our transport uh, to be 100% electrified. So it's actually quite a small number then. In, in, yeah, in, 1% market <laughs> share. Yeah. A conservative yeah. 1%. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, 
Um, <clears throat> well, I did just want to call out, and I hope I don't have to like bleep this out of the episode because I'm like giving away a trade seeker or something. But your guys' model is very unique compared to what I've heard of kind of other players in the space where you typically own the underlying land. Um, like, is that is that something you are free to talk about, or is it is it is it something you always do, or was there like a thesis behind that? Um, and, and maybe even, um, how the capital ties into that, like what, what, if you're only building infrastructure or, or what you're doing with, with that, with that capital. I think it has to do with the scale that we're talking about, right? We're talking about a step change function, step function change. Um, I always get that phrase wrong, but a really big change of magnitude of what it means to build an EV charging station, right? If you have a station that can charge five passenger vehicles, that's not much power, right? When you start to talk about 20 big rigs charging at the same time, it is the same amount of power you require for a data center. That's a pretty substantial investment that you need to make into a site. And certainly one that is really hard to amortize over the, the length of a lease, for example. So it really, I think, starts to look again, very similar to asset classes like data centers, where you have to invest a lot into that property to make it functional for your use. But once you do, it you know is really, um, a difficult hurdle to get that much power to one location. Uh, and so it accrues value to the site. So we really do think of it as a very similar asset class. And so that's kind of been our thinking from the beginning. Um, Terra is actually the concept that was founded out of Keyframe Capital and Cyrus Capital, our first investors who really had this vision um, you know, back in 2018. And they saw this need for very large scale EV charging with this large power amount uh, emerging back then, but they didn't know when, and they didn't know how exactly it would look. So that's when they started to assemble our portfolio pro uh, of assets, our property assets. Um, they thought the locations were going to be really key and they are right. Um, you mentioned earlier, Hey, this needs to be near a base of operations for some use cases. And certainly that was the early focus of trying to figure out those locations. So I think it's been part of our fundamental model from the beginning. Um, I think, uh, again, making those big investments and owning the property kind of allows you a, a um, different perspective on what you're building and kind of the asset that you're building over time. Yeah. But can we talk a little bit about locations? Because I think that's like the thing that is also, I, owning the land, I think, yes, important, but being able to decide and figure out locations is like the big thing. And I, I'd be curious, I mean, obviously there's the sort of, data center side of things of like, okay, where, where's the, where's there a need, I guess, being located closer to sites, how to electricity tariffs, like all of that. But in terms of thinking about the utility side of things, um, and whether there's sufficient power in areas, are you, I know you mentioned DERs on site too, are you sort of finding the right land and then either building the power or getting it from the utility, whichever is faster? Like, how are you approaching that? Yeah, and I think this might be maybe not another hot take, but really what I think the <laughs> industry has to evolve to, which is it's going to be a combination of both. You're going to see a combination of utility power and different types of on-site generation, on-site resources, um, absolutely to meet the scale of demand that the utilities are going to see for interconnects over the next decade. I think that it will be so great that people will start to innovate and create these solutions. And we have so many more tools now than we did 10, 20 years ago, right? There's um, amazing, really efficient generators. There's solar that is much more cost-effective than it was. You have 
these, you know, lithium iron battery packs that can come in one megawatt hour packs. So there's a lot more kind of, you know, leverage you can pull to build a microgrid than there was even five years ago in terms of cost and viability. So I do think, um, you know, you'll see a variety of solutions when it comes to the power side. As far as the locations go, it's driven by the fleets. You have to be in a location that these fleets can utilize effectively for their operations. So that really is the number one driver. Um, finding those places that overlay with where the utility can bring power quickly is really important and definitely a big part of any EV charging company's work. But I do think what I'm super excited about is this next level of innovation that I do think the EV charging industry will drive. It has to drive it. Um, just the demand will so overshadow what can be what could happen and you know the time frame that people demand it, people will come up with solutions. So I'm really excited to see what that is and to engage with it. I think, you know, also with, you know, the I think of the data center perspective, reliability was a really big component of what we thought about. But right now we have, you know, the servers or the vehicles can move in and out. So there's even more flexibility of you can go from one location to the next if you have a network like we're building. So I think that there's uh, so many degrees of freedom with EV charging and specifically mm -hmm. with DERS, uh, just amazing innovation that is going to come out of it. So shifting server load, you can shift charging load if you have a density in, in your network. That's uh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, but I, I think within that and like kind of piggybacking off of Colleen's question, um, I think our listeners would love to know it's it, it is a, like a pretty crazy kind of optimization problem where it seems like you have to kind of solve the problems on multiple fronts at once. And hearing kind of what that looks like on the front lines would be would be really interesting. So it sounds like you need to find a location that there are a density of of uses. So that means, and then actually go and acquire those customers. You also have to find a location that's probably viable from all these different um, sort of physical characteristics, like routes in and out, or you know, it's on I ten, um, which which provides an additional constraint. You also, I don't know to what degree prior to an acquisition of a location, you have to sort of check with the utility about the scale and magnitude of the location that you want to install. Um, so it's almost like chicken or the egg, but then also some other, like the chicken feed too. Like it's almost three different problems you're, you're trying to solve at once. Chicken, um, egg, and the feed. I like it. Yeah, which which sounds really difficult. So it would be cool to to hear if there's a strategy there? Like, are you taking a long-term view and, and taking some risk on that capital? Are you sort of pre-selling? I, you know, I know developers pre-sell buildings uh, with leases. And and so then even what those contract structures like look with the the off-takers essentially, uh, if those get signed in conjunction or, or how you just go about that, that development process. And um, are you spending just all day like on GIS maps, just like overlaying <laughs> things? Like... <laughs> Yeah, you did mention one, which is zoning, which is also a really critical right. consideration I was say, for us I as well. Any? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, look, it's not simple, um, and certainly there's lots of different you know roadblocks that can emerge. Whether it's, hey, there's no power for the next six years in this location, or you know we just had a big zoning change and there's a moratorium on any new sites that have this use. You know, it is definitely a complex process, and I think that's again why. We exist, right? An individual fleet that has been used to buying diesel for the last umpteen years 
all of a sudden they're thrown into this fray of like trying to work with the utility and is my zoning correct? And if I want to have batteries on site, how do I do that? Like, do I have other flammable stuff on my site? Right. Um, I think that it is very complicated and definitely a big challenge that we face. You know, um, I do leverage a lot of the lessons I learned at Google with site selection and data centers and, you know, how do you systematically start to uh, kind of get a set of locations that make sense and then start to execute on those. So certainly some of those lessons have helped. Um, but yeah, it is extremely complicated. I think, you know, um, there is a lot of time spent looking at maps uh, and, you know, building that base of knowledge of, hey, in this geography, this really matters. I think one thing that's really important is, you know, right now, a lot of the activity is in California just given the incentives they have in place, similar to rooftop solar, kind of the original uh, residential DER. Um, certainly uh, a lot of the activities happening in California, which is just a def- difficult place to develop anything, um, just given the density of population and your existing infrastructure that's already there. But I do think as, you know, and I saw this with data centers, as it becomes a more common installation, people start to plan for it. And you do see that the California utilities realize it will be a major load on their system and are starting to put that to their integrated resource plans as they start to think about the future of how much generation they need to be able to provide, et cetera. So I do think it'll start to trickle through. Um, you know, when I would sometimes go to site a data center and be the first time that a utility even thought about it, what does that load look like? What does the interconnect look like? And I do think that this will become a pretty commonplace structure for utilities to have to engage with. It's not there yet, certainly. I think what's um, more unique is that there's many sizes and flavors of EV charging, which might not be the case on the data center side. But um, you know, I think it's this is our work, right? It is complex, and that's why we exist because fleets need to oper- you know, work on their operations. They, they don't want to be stuck trying to figure out utility interconnect schemes. And and is there is there good data on where there's power? <laughs> like I, this is a <laughs> sounds no, like a dumb there's question, not. but like there's not. Like, I mean, maybe <laughs> I assume maybe you're trying to like be transmission connected a lot of the time for cheaper rates, and like I guess then on-ed hosting uh, capacity, you can man. look at substations and stuff. But yeah, once you're on the distribution grid, it's it's harder, I would assume, right? It certainly is. Uh very dependent on where you're looking, right? So certain utilities are publishing more data than others. Some it's like a black box. There's like nothing published out there. So it's, it's a, a really call. wide range. <laughs> yeah, it, it, a phone call, honestly. And I think that's, again, you know, some of the advancement we'll probably see in the industry is mm-hmm. if you start to electrify everything, it goes beyond EVs. You will see the utility kind of coming f- forward with some of the stuff that helps our customers maybe interact with them faster and easier than them having to have a phone bank to answer questions on interconnect, right? Um, so I, I certainly think that'll evolve over time, but it is, you know, it is very balkanized across the US. You could walk across the street and it's different utility. Yeah. Um, you have a right. Muni on one side, the IOU on the other. So it certainly is something that uh, requires a lot of deep understanding, in fact, um, and is a site, site location criteria, right? If we know there's a utility that is uh, faster, more flexible, um, and uh, one across the street is not. You know, you you try to site in the faster, flexible location. So, it's, so a big like a growing career for the 2020s and 2030s is going to be like electrocartographer. That sounds like <laughs> there's. A, I like that. That's cool. Um, I I think there's a lot of really interesting innovation happening in the space. Right, you see people starting to 
map and use mapping tools and all of the just data that's now available out there mm-hmm. um, and starting to put that into systems that people can utilize to start to make decisions like where should I site my facility, et cetera. So absolutely, I think there'll be a lot of innovation there as well. And also just thinking about uh, grid analysis and grid optimization. Um, I've seen a lot of cool companies come out of that space where they're trying to figure out how do you use the existing uh, grid and, you know, basically make sure you're leveraging it to its max without having to make more investments. Colleen, I saw you were going to say something earlier, unless I, I guess. No, go ahead. All I right. Think, I just yeah. wanted to check. Um, so maybe zooming in on, on, and this is a good segue into, into something else we wanted to get into is just zooming in on the interconnection problem. And so do you sort of, once you found a great location, you know, Duncan, I've seen tweet something recently about circumstances. Some of their customers, they see, they, they're trying to install, say a five megawatt site and the utility says we can only get you 500 kilowatts and the rest maybe will take a few years or so. Um, so doing my, my BD work for scale here, would you call a company like scale microgrids who then comes in and maybe off grids partially, like some of that load, um, is that a, is that something you think about consistently? Or are you only looking at sites that the utility can provide for you? Or are you kind of like, look, there's a lot of different ways to solve this. And if we can't get an interconnection, we have solutions where we can just off-grid a portion of the system. So to, to what extent is that just that interconnection piece, a, a huge constraint on the business? And, and, and are there solutions that you're using uh, to sort of get around it in, in given circumstances? So it absolutely is. I wouldn't call it a constraint. It's a challenge, right? We have to solve it. So it is something that can um, make what is a perfect site imperfect. And so how do we solve for that? And if there is a situation where the utility is constrained and it's a very long time frame before they can deliver, absolutely we want to look into what other solutions are there. As I mentioned earlier, I think it will be a huge area of innovation um, because there's going to be such a huge demand from EV charging that there will have to be some of these off-grid solutions that start to get integrated. Um, and absolutely, we're looking at everything, right? How do we get people online faster? That's, you know, we were talking about that they don't realize they need the charging until they need the charging, right? And how difficult that lift is. And so absolutely, I think, um, you know, microgrid type solutions will be part of the equation moving forward, for sure. Um, you look at things like Demand charges are something that's really, I think, a huge topic for EV charging specifically. And so how do you think about mitigating things like that? Uh, Obviously, it's going to impact the cost of fuel. You want this to be as viable as possible. You have to figure out ways to mitigate that. And sometimes doors can be a great way to to solve that. So it's absolutely part of the equation. It seems like big stationary storage is really like on site is kind of a big unlock here, right? I don't know. if, If you need five megawatts peak and you only have one. Like that still doesn't imply a lot of energy throughput, right? Like you're not charging trucks 24 seven, right? So it seems like stationary storage kind of being that like almost capacitor like function in the circuit, you know, just sort of being the buffer tank. It seems like it it has a huge role to play. I think it can for sure. It depends on such a huge number of factors. What is the read structure in that location? What is the general makeup of that, uh, you know, grid? Sometimes people actually have uh, lower rates now with solar peaks, right? You get the duck curve and then it, you know, goes way up once the sun goes down. So I think it depends on that local grid, the rate tariff you're on. And then the use pattern of the fleet does matter. 
Um, sure. If you have fleets that are returning to base at night versus ones that there are fleets that run 24 hour shifts, you know, they're going to have a much different consumption pattern. So it is again, the kind of unlocking the puzzle pieces of the utility, the rate structure, what that fleet wants to do, um, the amount of power they need to draw, uh, et cetera. So it, I would yeah. say it's a case by case basis. So I have, so on, on the, like thinking about the load and what technologies and how you think about that, like EV charging is so nascent in terms of what loads are going to look like and load profiles are going to look like when you're, I, I'd be curious on the utility side, like what interconnect you are required to get, right? I know a lot of utilities still aren't really allowing for load management software as a legitimate way to sort of say interconnection. And so there's some physical hardware infrastructure you can put in to limit it. Are you generally like going after the full amount, something in between? How have you found that experience? Have any C codes <laughs> caught up? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think it's really, again, dependent on the utility. I think every utility still gets really comfortable if you have enough capacity to serve your nameplate. And you're going to see that persist. Um, until things are really pushed along and, and are, are changed. Um, it's unfortunate. I guess, how do you think it should be done? Actually, how I think it should better. be is absolutely, it, you should be taking those things into consideration, right? If you don't, you're potentially overbuilding and that goes back to rate base and rate payers and just a lot of different um, follow-on impacts of not taking into account the technology that's available today. So absolutely should be taken into account if you have, behind the meter storage, you should take that into account. It shouldn't be, you know, two sinks, like the nameplate of the load and the, you know, nameplate of the, the, the storage. We should think of ways to um, make sure that you're thinking about how it'll be run and how it'll be optimized as opposed to just the nameplates that are, are there. I've always been kind of confused. Like why, if you were to say just like, I need 5,000 amps, there's going to be a breaker and it'll open if I go over that. Why do they care what the nameplate of like installed devices is? Right. Every utility is a little bit different, right? And so they want to run a reliable system. They want to know that you're not going to blow anything up. I think what's <laughs> different today is just all of the technology we have, right? Um, if you look at uh, SCADA systems, which are the original kind of data from the grid, it's like air controllers. They're just really kind of primitive. And so... I think there has to be a whole kind of change of how people monitor the grid, how they model the grid, what types of data they think they can get at any given time. And then we start to incorporate that. And you see, you see some change coming on that front. Um, you know, line ratings, things like that, all are things that you can start to measure now that you couldn't before. Uh, and so I think the utility is just taking some time to start yeah. to integrate some of that technology. I I'm do curious know. With, <laughs> you guys were probably the experts there. <laughs> Who, no, I, I, who, Colleen and Duncan? I'm certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think to Duncan's point, like having a, right, like having some sort of physical limitation on what you can import is sort of like the easy way now, but I, easier way, I won't say easy, easy, because it's not always easy with every utility, but, um, but I do think it's just like really complicated to think about. And I don't think anyone really knows the answer to what it should be or like how we're going to really manage it yet. Cause it's just fleet electrification hasn't really happened that scale yet. <laughs> yeah. I do. Yes. You do, you do point to a concern though, that I have, and I'd be interested to hear if you have any kind of long-term perspective on it, which 
I have the sense that if sort of the existing utility model were to not function anymore or not meet the needs that or give us what we need from it, it would be around that question of rate basing where we're not going to electrify equally. Like a lot of the homes electrifying today are typically wealthier, um, you know, or, or if you want to put solar battery, EV charger, heat pump, like you're already north of six figures. And so you need like good credit ratings or what have you, or if you look at um, fleets, like these are industrial purposes, it's not necessarily like everyone on the grid is benefiting from any electrification use, even though you could argue society is. And so I could see, you know, a situation where the numbers are getting so big so fast that like the, the regulators don't necessarily know how to approve of all the spending that needs to happen uh, for this to, to occur. But at the same time, like you point out, the incumbent utility model is saying, well, we need to run a reliable system. And um, um, so we need, we need to back this up via, uh, um, you know, the nameplate capacity needs to match the, the interconnection. Um, so do, do you see like, what will be the driver of that change? Will it be rate cases? Will it be at a certain point, you just need to get the utility to sign off on not needing to meet the nameplate capacity. Like you can build behind the meter durs because you just have to do it that way. Like, do, do you have a perspective on what the driver of that change will be? Do you, do you see it similarly to me? Do you see it totally different? Um, I, I'd be, I'd be interested if you kind of have a perspective on that. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't know if I have a crystal ball to say what that answer is. I do think that there will be a point where there is so much demand uh, for interconnect and capacity that they will have to pull every lever they can. And that might be allowing, you know, that type of interconnect where there is just a limiter in terms of what you can draw or there, or, or even push the grid. Right. Um, or, uh, you know, they'll, they'll start to leverage some of those technologies that are coming out now in terms of let's increase the line rating, or, you know, we have mm -hmm. now the telemetry to say, okay, it's a, uh, you know, we, we will have maybe, uh, 2% of the hours of the year where this line reading goes down, but it's way higher than the rest. So I do think the demand will be what makes that change happen. Because if we truly are going to electrify everything, it has to incorporate in huge stakeholders are the utilities. Yeah, it seems, I mean, yeah, electrify everything's just going to be transformative. Yeah. Or we could just, you know, do space-based solar, beam it right down to your charging station, you know, and we're, we're set. Um, something I wanted to ask about, so you're talking about how the usage profile, like the load profile matters, right? I was saying, yeah, what if everybody's just, yeah, coming home at the end of the, the normal day shift and charging, therefore you can just kind of like buffer peak power with the battery. And you said, yeah, well, some places just run three shifts or charging all the time, et cetera. Um, and it makes me think there must be a large part of your business that's consultative about all the stuff that gets to the point when you know what to build for charging, right? Like how does a customer know what truck to buy relative to their routes and how yeah. many of each and like when they should be charging? And maybe, maybe this dictates they should shuffle their routes around a little bit. Cause now there's like a better way to do it. If you have these trucks and it seems like there's a lot of like handholding probably involved or are the customers just saying, Hey, I just bought 40 Volvos. Like here's the specs charge them up for me. Yeah. This is really the wild west. 
There's some customers who absolutely know what they want and they're telling you exactly what that is and others that are asking for that consultation. Um, you see fleets that have been around for a long time and are existing incumbent fleets. And then you see new fleets um, that are new business models that might be EV first. Um, I, our first customer we've announced is a company called Captain. They do EV taxis and you know um, run an EV only fleet. And so they're just learning their business and they're also learning EVs at the same time. So I do think there is a really big consultative aspect of this. What do you need in terms of charging? different power levels, different locations. If you shift your operation slightly, can you do that? Um, so I think there is a huge component of our business that does involve that. And I think that is something that as you see the adoption curve kind of gets steeper, we're still at the place where you have a lot of early adopters that are willing to put in the extra elbow grease to make this work. But if you see more and more fleets starting to adopt, they're going to want to have someone who can tell them like, hey, this is the best solution for your use case. And we certainly are starting to spend more and more of our time helping customers through that. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like, I don't know, for example, I don't know if you're, if you're running your fleet off like the tank of diesel in the parking lot, right. The cost of that fuel is just sitting in that tank unchanged since the last fill up. It seems like really, you know, with dynamic cost of electricity like even like the routes themselves and the times at which the routes are run like are different in an electrified world and not to say um in a bad way but like opportunity right there's like a more optimal way to run your business if you're powering it with electricity i don't know it's just it just i'm thinking about it i'm sort of like a power <laughs> system mean, modeler throwing... thinking about it just blows my mind because yeah. like you have to sort of bring in the business's operations into the like system optimization and design exercise. Absolutely. And I think if you think of things like autonomous, right? Right now, most things are built around the human cycle, but if you don't have that element that's required and you have other drivers like trying to, you know, use it, utilize those vehicles as much as possible because they're expensive and that's driving your economics, that can also drive different patterns. So I think that you know, another market that will emerge from all of this is optimizing. How do you optimize and what are you optimizing around, right? Is it optimizing around operations? If you are a fleet that needs to deliver goods on time, that's your major point of optimization, right? And you'll, everything else will be centered around that. But if you're trying to drive the lowest cost, that may be another optimization. So I do think we're at such early days of EV charging and EVs and again, layering on things like autonomous that I think it'll be, you know, the next century of optimization around this specific opportunity. So is Terawatt not just an asset owner and developer, but probably like a design software creator as well at some point? Look, I think the consultation aspect is going to be really critical to our business and anyone who's doing EV charging. You have to understand the operations of your customer to provide them the best solution and the cheapest solution. And so I think we'll have to get capabilities as any EV charging provider will have to. Um, it, it's just so key to, especially this phase of transition from, you know, traditional vehicles to EVs. Customers are really craving uh, someone who's expert in that area. Okay. Final question, James. I know you're trying to jump in. I've got a, this one last one on this. Um, okay. So company wants to electrify their trucks. Um, they're going to do offsite charging uh, via terawatt. There's somebody who currently works at the company who manages on-site refueling. 
that person doesn't have a job anymore. Um, I'm not sure how common this is. Maybe it's not common, but I'm curious. Are people like, because electrification would create this issue no matter what. This isn't like a terawatt model thing, but like, is there like internal friction at these companies around this? Because like some people's like role in the company is to be like the diesel guy, the diesel procurement person. And they're like, well, I don't know what I don't know what a demand operate. charge is, you know, like <laughs> and just the facilities like logistics operator, right? Like it's different skill set. It certainly is a different skill set. I think what you're seeing is there's a demand for more people, frankly. Uh, the you know, diesel operator or the facilities manager, in addition to all their other duties, now has to figure out how to procure electricity and work with the utility and pay that bill and make sure they don't get hit with huge demand charges. And so Certainly, I think there is more skill actually required and more uh, mindshare going towards the EVs um, than there might be if it was something that's already been so optimized over the last century, right? Um, there's lots of different uh, you know, different types of services you can have to help you fuel. And um, I think all of those will obviously emerge on the EV side, but you know, the engagement is not um, completely outsourced when they're going to offsite charging. They have to think about their fleet, how they're optimizing their vehicles. EVs are right now, they're more expensive. And so they want to run those vehicles as much as possible. So how does that impact your operations? We're talking to a customer who says, I would do the EVs if I could, you know, double run, you know, double shift them, but I can't because I don't have uh, fast enough charging on my site. So I, I certainly think it does trickle into all, you know, all aspects of operations. Um, our goal is to make that as painless as possible. And so the power piece, the land piece, the, they don't have to worry about that because it will be somewhat impactful on their business. Well, and that, yeah, that anecdote was exactly where I was leading, which is one solution out there that I think to some people in the business feels a bit more like what exists today and the ways things work today is hydrogen. Um, what do you think about it? I don't know. What's your... Is is there a role for it? Is it small? Is it big? Is it overblown? Is it yeah. undervalued? Where what what's hydrogen going to do in all this? I mean, I think the difficult thing about hydrogen is just the amount of infrastructure it requires. Right, electricity is hard to come by and hard to source and hard to bring a huge amount of it to your site. But you can start with a small building block with electricity. With hydrogen, you really are building infrastructure from scratch. So I think that's difficulty. That number one. Number two is um, that cost curve is just still quite high and it's not coming down as steeply as we will see for EVs. And so I think that might be a challenge as well in the near term. Are there applications where for which hydrogen makes sense? Sure. I don't know if that's the case for EVs. Um, certainly, again, the speed of innovation with batteries, battery, you know, large battery formats, and the ability to scale the charging with existing infrastructure and existing technology, um, I think is really key to thinking about, you know, hydrogen versus EVs. All right. I think, I think we got to move on to our, Duncan. I'm, I'm not going to ask my question. I want you to know that. And I'm wow. sorry. About it. Yeah. I'm going to just no, I'm... feel, feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a quick, we could make it really it quick. quick. Make it quick. Yeah. Could you see Terawatt doing anything outside of EV charging? Because it seems like there's a lot of skill involved in building these huge, like industrial kind of loads and projects. Like, do you see, so could that transfer to other emerging sectors that we're not really thinking about yet? Or are there others that you think of that are coming and we're not like, you don't really know yet or 
you know, it's not terawatts keen, but it is something that that you see on the horizon as far as like big electrification projects. Gosh, we're so early. It's hard to say, right? We're building what's in front of us and thinking about how do we get that off the ground? But I mean, certainly I think, you know, just thinking just generally about employment, any skills that have to do with understanding the grid, understanding interconnect, understanding the regulatory aspect of utilities and how they set rates. All of those are things that are going to be very transferable to other types of installations as we electrify more and more. So whether it's on the grand scale of a large EV charging hub, or it's even, you know, more on distributed basis, I think understanding all of that is really, really important. And so I think can lend itself to other business lines uh, in the future. You know, again, I'm going to work here when I'm 80. So uh, plenty of time to uh, to start to think about that. But, uh, nice. but I definitely think there's, you know, just this whole movement will seed uh, a lot of other businesses. All right, Colleen, you want to, you want to ask our favorite question? Yeah. Okay. So Neha, you've been appointed energy czar of America for enough time to do one policy change. What do you do? Whatever you want. There's no, there's no rules, no AHJs, no PUCs, nothing. It's funny because my first job ever in life was, um, a a planning engineer at the utility. (laughs) And, and I think about that process of interconnecting and how you do the analysis and how you make that decision. If, if I could put in a policy that made that faster and somehow optimized for all of the different players. I think that is the one thing that could help us make this transition so much quicker. The battery technology will get there. The automotive technology will get there and other industries, you know, heat pumps are now coming along. There's so many different options from the technology perspective, but at the end of the day, if you can't get the power there, it just makes that whole industry grow slower. So I would figure out what interconnection innovation, you know, of, of planning and, you know, moving that interconnection as fast as possible. Um, it'd be some some regulation along that line. Well, that that's a setup for our 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 next section, our our final section, or actually second to last, dope or nope. If you think something <laughs> is dope, you just say dope. If it's nope, you say nope. You can provide context or not. And the first one we have is interconnection processes. <laughs> no, nope. sounds like an. Dope? <laughs> no, nope. it's a nope. It's oh, a nope. nope. Yeah, I was like, it sounded like a nope. This is an easy uh, one to start with, but <laughs> um, battery battery swapping. Like no nope. car. Nope. <laughs> nice. Um, franchise rights. Nope. Ooh, nice. I was. Wow, I, I didn't expect that. Do you think? Do you think Terawatt could become a utility one day? Oh gosh, I used to get asked this question. Every job I've had, I've asked this question. Um, <laughs> look, I think that it may, you know, provider of last resort. All of those things are very important. But with technology like microgrids, with a lot of other things, I think you have ways to deal with it that don't require the, the traditional franchise rights, as you've always seen them. That might get me in it. trouble. That might get I, me in trouble. Sometimes. I like that answer. No, that that was that was uh no, I mean you're just it, you said it before. Like there's you know, there's stuff behind the meter, there's the utility model, and there's gonna be some way it balances out or whatever over time, right? So we'll 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 see. Um 
All right, we go. We one Duncan. more. Uh, oh, Duncan, go ahead. Okay, um, dope or nope? Uh, firm power versus intermittent power. Am I, which is dope or nope? The firm power, or the intermittent firm, power. Firm, power, firm like, power. Do we need firm power? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I have to, I have to ask Thanks, now. Controversial ones. <laughs> okay. I, this is my favorite one. What about Davos? <laughs> I've never been, so I, I should not judge something I have never witnessed <laughs> myself. Uh, so I, I'm going to just stay silent on that one. That sounds like enough <laughs> to me, but I'm, I won't make you say it. <laughs> Amazing. So in our, in our final minutes, we love to do um, our big shouts section, which is literally just saying big shouts and then to whoever you want to give big shouts. Anyone to. you want to call out like big shouts to Ben Birnbaum and uh, John <laughs> and the Absolutely. whole keyframe team, Share, yeah. shared investors, quiet, <laughs> quietly brilliant, you know, capital allocators in the, in the energy, in the energy space. Yeah. I mean, Ben, John, Ethan, Ethan, They've all been great. I think that they have put together a, a kind of a the kiritsu of companies that are all rowing the same direction and doing cool things. And it's been really fun to work with them. They're really great and just super supportive. So, uh, you know, I think uh, they would fall into that category. Uh, I'll just say my other investors, you know, Vision Ridge, um, who came to the table and kind of helped us make that big announcement. I think they have been visionary in the industry as well. They've turned up other very, you know, prominent EV charging companies that we all know today and super excited to have them on board. I think it's, um, you know, I was just talking to Duncan at the beginning of the, maybe before we started even about how this is the first industry he, he's worked in, the only industry he's worked in. And I think it's all of the people who are putting so much energy into making this their career and just so much innovation that's going on with, and I sound like an old person, but like all the young people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. <laughs> awesome to watch. And, you know, we're hiring a lot because that's the stage we're at at a company and it's just awesome. I think there is so much interest and, you know, I think it's just amazing. And I will say, I think some of the big infrastructure acts that have been uh, passed in the last couple of years, super helpful for EV charging. Um, you know, my entire career up to now was within energy. And now I know about transport and they really have seen the vision. They have this joint office of yeah. transport and energy, which is super exciting. So I just think all of the momentum, all of the energy, um, all of the people who are so passionate about this, uh, I, I feel really lucky to be part of it. Yeah. It's that. such a good point. I feel like the energy is like this very unique sector where people really do come in committing to like, I want to make a career here. And I feel like that's not necessarily like that's not in the mainstream true of our generation we're like job switchers every two years we're always like doing what's sexy and cool but like all the young people i meet in the space are like i'm gonna spend the next like this is gonna be my last job or my last sector at least like no one is like i want to end up in you know healthcare or banking or whatever like they're all like no i'm here for for the long haul so yeah i agree big shouts to all those people, maybe some, you know, some listeners, uh, hopefully, who are getting into the space. Absolutely. I want to give some big shouts to the interconnection analysts for the next few <laughs> years. They are going to be busy. The so power big engineers. Shouts to them. Big shouts. <laughs> big shouts to, uh, to Twitter for being the dirt that works. <laughs> <laughs> Our new favorite dirt. 
and uh big shouts uh to you and Tarawat. Um we really really appreciate you coming on and um yeah. it's we we love your business. We're we're huge fans. So cool. Absolutely. Well, you guys are super fun. Uh keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. All Great. right, thanks. Thanks, Neha. Take care. Bye.